Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Congrats, fellas. The podcast FPI has the Redcast ranked number 17 going into next season. Woohoo! All right. 20 up from last year. I don't buy the hype, man. <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. Mac? Hey, yeah, this is uh, going out to the uh, powers that be in the XFL. If you really want to change the game and make your impact, take the high school players straight out of high school, senior year, go straight in the XFL, and see what happens. That'll, you know, remove all this, you know, transfer rule right away. Let them earn their money right away. This would be fantastic. Go for it, Vincent, man. You, you could do it. Would that not ruin college football, Mac? Immaterial, Dave. We got to <laughs> let players transfer as they will. <laughs> well, maybe we'll go into a little bit more detail on on uh, kind of some interesting college football conversations here in a little bit. But beforehand, let's uh, hear what Boomer has to say. Well, I'd just like to announce while I'm flattered to be considered for the uh, head job at Michigan State's I Am Spartacus podcast, I am committed to the Go Big Redcast for the build of our podcast uh, with our great supporters. And I'd also like to congratulate uh, Michigan State for having the best day of my life, bringing me on their new podcast. So let's go green! (laughs) Uh, Classic boomer, classic. Uh, Let's actually start there with a little uh, sweep left, our uh, wide-angle view of all things college football, and talk about a bit of a debacle there with uh, Mark D'Antonio leaving Michigan State kind of out of the blue there right after collecting a nice paycheck by reaching a uh, some sort of retention bonus. And then where it gets really messy is uh, they go after Luke Fickle and maybe a few others and ultimately land on Mel Tucker uh, right out here in um, my uh, home uh, state of Colorado. And um, he won, at one moment says he's sticking around here in, in Boulder and the next moment he's gone, right, Boomer? You have D'Antonio leaving Michigan State and all their players in kind of a lurch, just conveniently, of course, you know, when problems seem to be popping their ugly heads there and just enough time to collect some extra pocket change. Was that like a, like a day after signing day? Basically, yeah. Yeah, it was fairly close after the signing day, and it was after, basically it was like the day or so after he was eligible for that big bonus, which, why would you pick a bonus in that date? I don't really quite understand Michigan State's logic. I'm sure Michigan State picked it because they figured he'd be sticking around another year if he made it to that late in the game, right? I guess so, yeah, and then... Then Michigan State was caught in a bind. When I, I honestly think they kind of panicked with the hire. They didn't know where else to go at that point. And they were kind of in a lurch, so I don't know what else you'd do. And then, and then the whole Mel Tucker scenario. One day tweeting out that, you know, he's staying at Colorado. And the next thing you know, he's at Michigan State. And it's just kind of that dark underbelly of college football, of how coaches can say one thing one day, and then the next day they're off at another school, leaving players in a lurch. It kind of speaks to the money angle of college football when you've got let's be honest, Michigan State's kind of a middling Big Ten team. I mean, they've been decent, but they're not world beaters. They're certainly not blue bloods. You know, Mac, uh, Boomer called it the dark underbelly of college football. I know you've got some opinions on this. Uh, what do you think? This is what happens when a when a program who's never had that much money to throw around all of a sudden has all kinds of money to throw around. It's hard to feel bad for someone who just cashed in on a $5 million a year paycheck, but you got to kind of appreciate this guy's first he says no, Michigan State comes back. They do kind of panic. I think they really panic with this hire. Whatever. Who knows what they offered the first time. But $5 million, how do you pass up that kind of payday? And There's no way in a 100 years he gets paid that at Colorado. And and he goes ahead and says yes. And then on top of that, has to do like two booster events, like back-to-back, right before he has to. I mean, it's a weird situation. And it... 
And yeah, I know people get all upset about coaches taking these jobs and leaving, but they can get fired at the drop of a hat. There's no loyalty in college football. I think it's, it doesn't bother me at all. That's just how it works anymore. And frankly, that's how the world works. I mean, money talks and everything else walks. You know, Honky, before they got to Mel Tucker and, and offering him $5.4 million or whatever it is, right after he's uh, wanting and dining boosters at the Denver Country Club, they went after Luke Fickle. At least everyone uh, believes they did. Uh, and uh, somehow they couldn't get that done. It felt too obvious to sign Luke Fickle here, a, a Big Ten guy, defensive-minded, highly successful at Cincinnati. He was waiting for the right job. And, you know, a, a relatively high-profile Big Ten job is not a bad first uh, P5 gig to, to land. Um, but yet, for some reason, they, they couldn't get him. I mean, do they think they offered him $5 million too, and he turned that down? You said it about it being the right job, and I think that Fickle looked at this and says, I can be a little picky here. He's making every bit as much, I'm sure, at Cincinnati as what Tucker was making at Colorado, which says something right there. Two million something, yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, essentially, a Pac-10 school is in the same financial situation as a G5 one. And in sense of Fickle, he can be a little picky right now. I think he looks at Michigan State as being a mess. And they could be a mess Mm -hmm. with some sanctions and some different things happening down there. And he's like, I'm just not going to get into that. I feel like I'm going to be in a spot where... A year from now and two years from now, whenever he chooses to take that next role, he's going to have a, a very high-profile position available to him. If I'm Tucker, yeah. coming off a of 5-7 and seven at CU, I, I'm not feeling that. But yeah. I think you guys have already kind of hit on this a bit, Dave and Boomer. The disparity between being an SEC or Big Ten school in terms of money, and we've, always, we've talked many times about how those two conferences have the big TV deals and payouts, and then it's almost like everybody else. It's those two schools – Clemson and Notre Dame and everyone else. You look at the Pac-12, UCLA, you know, high-profile school in that conference, and they've had all kinds of financial issues, mm-hmm. you know, that have come up. And the money just isn't there to compete. It says a lot about what Fickle thinks he has as a team coming back too, because I think you're right. I feel like he thinks he can position himself to take one of the top spots next year. Maybe he must feel like he's got a pretty good team coming back to turn down $5 million or $5.5 million to stay at Cincinnati. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point, Mac. You must feel like he has a a situation where he has got a great great bargaining tool and and a maybe a great 2020 season coming up. Let's talk a little bit, though, I guess, what on the other hand of that, right? I mean, like you said, I don't feel bad for Mel Tucker, but he had to have a tough decision to be made there. But the players don't have necessarily the same options, right? Obviously, we have Michigan State players who leave a, lose a coach well into the recruiting cycle, and then Tucker even after that for CU. And uh, now you got got players that will have new coaches and completely different philosophies potentially. How easy is it for them to uh, switch schools? Wasn't the NCAA talking about some new transfer rules? Yeah, that's kind of been a, a subject. It, actually, the Big Ten had broached this a few weeks ago about altering transfer rules, allowing football players and actually any college athlete to be able to transfer at least once in their in their career without having to set out a sport. And actually, the majority of uh, NCAA sports, that is allowed. It's only not allowed currently in Football, men and women's basketball, hockey, and uh, baseball are the only sports that currently require players to sit out. So part of that was would also require the schools to you know release the players from their scholarship or their uh, commitment to the team and you know be able to put restrictions on it, which is what the transfer portal was put into place to prevent from happening. So, Boomer, to clarify a little bit, so the Big Ten 
had had floated this idea um, of this uh, one-time transfer opportunity across all sports. And then I think it was just this week, I think the ACC lent it, its support to that idea. And then more details came out on the potential proposal, some sort of working committee or something. And, and, and it seemed like the uh, transfer portal thing might go away. Is that kind of like, because somehow the schools are going to regain that control of release or not. It seemed like that was the story, right? Yeah, the, the idea is the concept would be you can have that approval for a first time for your transfer. If you get a release from your school, you're academically eligible, you somehow maintain your progress at the new school, and you're not under some sort of disciplinary suspension is the idea behind right. kind of the new rules, which is a little different than the transfer portal where you were allowed to enter regardless of you know whether you had a release or not. So everything's in flux, I think, right now. Yeah, no, it's very true. You know, we've we've had some interesting uh, text conversations. Uh, Producer Skip uh, has some strong opinions on on this as well as as others. And uh, there's it really is uh, two sides to each story here, and it's really difficult to try to simplify the the conversation. It's it's got a lot of a lot of facets to it. All right, Honk. Uh, anything else you want to want to tackle maybe here on this chat about college football? Well, if we're talking about things that you know we're not passionate at all about, let's talk neutral site games. One game that was just announced was Florida State and LSU in 22 and 23 being played in New Orleans and in Orlando instead of Tallahassee and, and obviously in Baton Rouge and at Death Valley. I mean, why? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. No, and it doesn't. And oddly enough, we, we just saw today uh, another game at a Death Valley is uh, being moved to a neutral site is uh, Georgia and Clemson there. They've announced they'll be playing in uh, Atlanta and Charlotte. You know, the ultimate argument you see is, yeah, it does generate more money for the schools. Theoretically, yeah, these neutral site games, there's somewhat bigger payouts. I've seen it estimated $6 million or you know, less sometimes for schools for playing in these neutral site games. So you're giving up a home game where you're generating a few million dollars for that to make a little extra. But I think the big problem with that attitude is it's, for one, the, the cash end of it's ridiculous. For schools in the SEC to complain about, oh, we need these neutral side games for money. For the love of God, you you make more money than Micronesia on these the new TV contracts you're getting. So that's really not a, a valid argument anymore these days, I don't think, for, for teams in major conferences. At least the SEC, the Big Ten, and probably the ACC going forward. And then you're just asking a lot of fans, you know, to travel to these neutral site games, to have to stay in these big fancy, you know, metropolitan areas with hotels and give your money to pro stadium rather than your actual school you're attending. That potentially is on top of conference championship games, playoffs, mm-hmm. et cetera. Right? Yeah, you're asking them, yeah, how many non-conference, you know, neutral site games are we asking people to go to potentially? A, a neutral site game to start the year, a conference title game one or two playoff games, a, you know, a championship game, all these sorts of things we're asking fans to go to. And we're starting to wonder why attendance is down at these home games. Well, all your best games are outsourced, and your home slate is now, you know, a few conference games. And if you're the SEC, you might see the good teams on the other side of the conference once every time Neptune goes around the sun. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Everything else is, you know, a couple FCS games and kind of ridiculous and they wonder why students delaware tech yeah delaware tech fighting aardvarks my old uh, playstation football team i used to have and, and they wonder why students don't go to games well you've outsourced all your best games it's expensive for them to go and they can't always go and it's hard for people to get days off of work for these sorts of things and travel i mean we have seen some uh reverse in this trend uh, as of late alabama finally scheduling some home and homes uh, etc in response to uh season ticket holders complaints about this who is paying 
these schools the $6 million to play the game in uh, Atlanta or Orlando or in New Orleans? Boomer might be the guy to answer that because my assumption is it would be the somehow the city of Atlanta, the I don't know if it's Chamber of Commerce or I don't know where that's coming from. Dave's shaking his head, so you must know the answer. I Boomer, you want to take a crack? Is it the surplus income they're not giving the players? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some of that, and I would imagine a lot of it is just the advertisers and the networks are probably paying out you know, a good chunk of money for that, too. It's and- the worldwide leader. Uh, you can blame ESPN for this. Uh, I blame ESPN for a lot of things, Dave. Now, yeah, I mean, maybe it's only partial blame because ESPN wants these type of games in the early parts of the season because typically you don't get that many great non-conference games. Uh, and so they uh, are willing to put the money up to uh, have these teams play at neutral sites. The question is, is like, you know, why aren't some of these schools willing to play home and homes, right? I mean, why isn't LSU willing to go to uh, Tallahassee or vice versa? Playing on the road, non-conference, you know, maybe they feel like they have a better shot to, um, you know, play at a neutral site and eliminate some of those home field advantages. But ESPN pays the big money for these games in part because they want to see that inventory and those teams are not making those matchups um, on their own, uh, at least not enough. To your point there earlier, Dave, like Alabama's already chosen to do a home and away with Wisconsin. So they've picked that. Uh, LSU, at the same time that we're making fun of them here for playing you know, Florida State, they just announced, now granted it's like 2030 and 31, but they're doing a home and away with Utah. So these same schools are doing it. I don't know why ESPN... I'm actually really fascinated that you brought that up, Dave, because I didn't realize that they were the driver. I don't see what the advantage of them is to having those games in those locations. Just the main thing is let's just have those games. From a TV standpoint, who cares if it's in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome or if it's in Death Valley? We just want to see the game. Yeah, and I think we now see see this where you typically get a... It's a fake home and f- and fake fake home, right? We have Orlando, which is near Tallahassee, and New Orleans, close to Baton Rouge, and you get both of them. Where previously it, it was a bunch of one-offs, and somebody was, you know, essentially a sacri- sacrificial lamb to Alabama or somebody in Atlanta or Dallas, and so those have kind of gone away. Are, are you talking about the the old uh, Auburn, Washington, in Atlanta neutral site game? Yeah, in Atlanta, then exactly. Then the return matchups in neutral Dallas or something like that. So you know, very convenient for all the Pac-12 fans to. To make it to, yeah. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to find out, obviously, but uh, hopefully we see the trend continue to go the other direction. All right, good stuff, guys. Always like just uh, talking a little college football. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. All right, let's slip on those Scarlet Colored Glasses and uh, talk all things Husker football. There's uh, some of these uh, metric-based uh, ranking systems releasing their top 25s. And, uh, you know, guys, you might help me uh, fill in the pieces a little bit. I was uh, out of the country the last week, and um, it's uh, not the topic uh, down in uh, Puerto Vallarta as it is here in, in the States, but the F&P index or FPI and S&P Plus and whatever it is, Bill Connolly and, and others are, are throwing out numbers that are somehow ranking Nebraska in the top 25, I hear. Is that correct? That is correct. There are numbers that are very positive for Nebraska. That's hype, Honky. Hype. It, it's hype. Cut it out. I know. It's in the same polls that in previous years were not being very nice to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. When actual 
other hype was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, FPI, to give you an idea, in 2019, we were preseason number 35. In 2018, we were number 50. In 2017, we were number 57. Uh, the SP Plus, which has us at number 25 uh, right now, has us at number 39 a year ago and number 62 years ago. And I should mention the FPI has us at 22 right now. What's funny to me or what's interesting is we wrote a thing, a tweet on on Sunday morning, and it was just in reference to an article that Sam McEwen wrote. And he was referencing these data-driven metrics Mm. and simply saying, you know, hey, I mean, we've kind of heard it before, but at the same time, they're basing a lot off of returning production. These are where these polls have Nebraska rated. And the responses from people of just, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the hype. I'm not going to read that article. And I'm, Why are you responding to something if you're not even going to read yeah. it? Like, that part alone drives me nuts. But I'm like, come on. Like, if this is going to be the entire offseason, is every time somebody even writes something remotely positive about Nebraska, and you're just going to have a fit about it, oh, you, you're in for a long offseason. You might as well just not read or follow or listen to anything. You can listen to us. That's okay. Keep listening. I mean, listen to us. <laughs> I yeah. mean, data hype Obviously. is what this is, right? This is basically data hype. And that will be probably the only hype we get in the offseason. There's not going to be a, like a human Correct. going through their polls going, well, I'm going to put Nebraska probably about 22. No one's going to do this. So it's a data hype thing. So just relax, Husker Nation. It's a poll driven by stats and by returning players. It's it's not that big of a deal to get upset with. And, and stop being small. I want to throw this to you, Dave, because we've talked a lot in the past about you know, analytics, and that's not my strong suit. And Boomer and Dave really kind of run the analytics side of a Yeah, this of the is a guess. Boomer and Dave poll. <laughs> <laughs> Think about someone like Phil Still that is heavy driven by analytics. And a year ago, he had us going to the Rose Bowl. Now, we didn't have that returning production. We lost Morgan. We lost Ziegler. We lost 1,000-yard production from the, the running back and the receiving spot. So, Dave, do you think, like, did Phil Still kind of put off a little bit of his own analytics and maybe just – incorporate some of his own not i don't want to say hype but his own beliefs and thoughts into last season's team because obviously his analytics if it was based solely off of returning production it shouldn't have had us going to the rose bowl sure you're right yeah so if you read phil still he i think has somewhere around nine sets of uh, power rankings essentially where he he will re-rank everyone completely different based off of some very specific uh, metric um, and then he kind of combines them all to, you know, kind of come up with his top 25 or top 40 or whatever it is. And so in, I'm sure in some of his, his, his rankings, we were lower because of the lack of, uh, returning production, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Now, if you remember, right, last year's defensively, we did have quite a bit of returning starters and experience, and that would have played into his, with his rankings in our favor. But he, after probably looking at all of those, and then you look at the schedule, which he takes into consideration that returning starting quarterback and all those type of things, he probably saw a a, a very manageable schedule for, for Nebraska and probably overlooked a, a few things. Phil Still is, is a lot of science and a little bit of art um, at the end of it. Uh, I think it's really interesting in the sense that you, you can – really slice and dice this data just about however you want uh, to come up with uh, numbers that support or refute uh, an, an argument, you know. And honestly, it ends up being the human element um, that actually uh, makes a really good college uh, prognosticator, I suppose. Right, Boomer? Yeah, and, and that's part of the fun of college football is the arguing of data versus 
the human element of it, and that's why we still have the AP poll and the coaches poll and things like that. It, it's just part of the nature of the sport. You know, I did, I did kind of look into this a little deeper. I know people are arguing on Twitter, the back and forth of, do these polls mean anything? Is it too much hype? Is it not? What do these numbers actually mean? And it, it is kind of interesting. I, I did a kind of a deeper look into uh, what Connolly himself says about his numbers on it. And basically what he says is this is just a data point you can use the whole returning production thing. It's not an end-all, beat-all. But basically he said you pretty much have to be somewhere over 80% of offense or defense or both you know, returning to have a real impact on wins or losses. And I actually took a look at his numbers for last season from uh, what he predicted on 2019 for teams, you know, based on their returning production, and then compared their wins and losses from 2018 to 2019. And there is a, a correlation between having you know 80% returning starters and increased wins. It's, it's not a huge jump. It's about one extra win four teams in general on average or median whatever you want to look at and the same is true for the, the bottom end of it it's he also said you basically if you have less than half your team returning on offense or defense that's a negative and that's also true it's offense it seems to hit you a little worse you, you tend to lose about two more games a year if half your team's returning on offense and defense and overall it's it's about one less win and everyone in between it doesn't really have any impact whatsoever so the amount of teams that are actually impacted by these numbers aren't great most teams or somewhere in the middle of returning about a little more than half their team does somewhere in the 70%. So it's, again, this isn't the end-all, beat-all of anything. It's just an interesting way to look at it, and it's just an approach to try to take the emotion out of this, because that is a big problem with preseason polls. We always hear those complaints. I hear people complain all the time. It's, oh, geez, Notre Dame or Texas are ranked because they're back this year. They're always they're only ranked because of who they are. When, well, that's kind of what college football is. It's that whole blue bud mentality. These teams should be better, and we think they should, and... I think most of us bought that last year with Nebraska. You know, some people have thrown the word hype out, and, you know, it's just the way it is, and that's just part of part of college football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Boomer, I mean, to that point, FPI a year ago specifically didn't buy into Texas, They and they didn't buy into Nebraska. And Correct. so these are mm-hmm. the same polls that in some cases, you know, for the people that don't like the hype and are screaming at us not to, not to hype us, we're talking about polls that in the past haven't hyped us. They're using their same numbers, their same formulas, and for whatever reason, it's spitting out something that looks better. I, I was curious uh, if anybody can answer this just fire away, but uh, for the people that are, are almost angry about uh, these polls and that there's all this hype, supposedly, and they need to stop it. I mean, Sam McEwen was on, I, I think it was Jake and Sip or, or one of those this morning. No, I, I think it, maybe it was uh, Benning and, and Severe. And he's like, uh, you know, I can't write a good article right now, right? And somehow it's I'm I'm to blame, right? That that it all went wrong last year. Well, it's not our fault, Dave. Yeah, clearly not our fault. Obviously, Sam. It's all about the the professional media, not not us. But what would make that contingent that's so angry right now and and telling everybody to stop pumping them sunshine? What articles do they want to read? Are they right now? I don't know. Finding stuff on. Reddit about like how horrible we're going to be next year and trying to subscribe to Iowa sites because they just have this vindictive thing going on where they just want to feel bad about themselves as Husker fans. I mean, what what are they looking for um, from Sam McEwen and, and others? I don't get it. Right now, the only thing that it seems that Husker Nation wants to hear about is is how good Luke McCaffrey is. I mean, that just seems to be like the only hype we're willing to entertain is how Luke McCaffrey is going to be the savior at quarterback, which I'm not subscribing to. I'm not against, but that just seems like we're on the backup quarterback train right now. Short of that, though, Dave, to answer your question, 
there is no article. There's no positive article that they can put um, out there. Yet they still read. They're still, like, involved, right, aren't they? I guess they're just mad when they read stuff as opposed to being happy. It would take outside, like, ESPN, maybe The Athletic, a few of those very negative articles to kind of make Husker Nation to bristle up and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Only we get to say that about our team. You guys don't get to say that. Like, we have to be – we have to have our back against the wall to support the team right now. Last year was weird because everybody was for us. And that was uncomfortable. And this year, it's kind of a little bit born back to how we're usually treated or thought of as a, as a program. So, yeah, right now we, we just need a little opposition, and I think that'll mm. that'll get Husker Nation's uh, the the hair on their back standing up. We just had an interview a week ago with Steve Sipple. And- that was a really good interview, guys. I- Sip loves us. I mean, <laughs> he said it off the air. <laughs> but and not that Sip and the rest of the media corps need our support or anything they're big boys and they can handle themselves but at the same time i felt the need to support some of our local media where i don't like it where they become the enemy of it really well, you, was not you, local media last well year you hype this team. and you hype this and, and i've responded to a couple of people i'm like to be honest we never felt that all last off season we never felt that it was local we nope. actually thought it was strange it, was it felt like it was a lot of national stuff coming in about nebraska now did i suck it up of course i did i'm gonna do it every year i'm i'm not media i'm a fan you're so 12 and 0 guy we're gonna be 12 and 0 next year you know i mean i'm, <laughs> not, trying to get, I'm not giving my my august uh, prediction away but we probably will be right so the point is we asked this question on social media, and we just wanted to get some, some feedback from people. And uh, on Facebook, uh, the Big Red and More podcast, they follow us there. They, they uh, responded that, I will not drink the Kool-Aid. I will not drink the Kool-Aid. And they wrote that a couple of times with a smiley face. Um, it's a mantra. Tra- <laughs> uh, Travis Wilbeck said, explain how in the hell they got to that number, referring to the FPI and the SP+. He goes, the schedule's way harder, and it's mostly the same players. So, I mean, we're getting a lot of those responses from people, and I get it. I do get it. But at the same time, returning production does mean something. And if, I think if I've learned something from a year ago, the assumption I made was that we are just simply going to replace Azigbo and Morgan because this is Frost and his offense. And Farmer and Foster. And Farmer and Great Farmer. point, well, Dave. Those are awesome points because the line was completely undervalued. And, and we're, it, yeah. well, especially at center, right? Where yeah, we're starting a guy 100%. that hasn't even played the position. Or, or guard, Foster, too. Everything awesome. is just plug and play in this offense. And a year later, what I'll say I learned is I don't know that it's just as plug and play. And the other part is what Sipple talked about with this conference being as physical as it is. This conference isn't plug-and-play. To have guys that have gone through it now, to have Dedrick Mills coming back on game one next year, and he knows what it's like because he's been through a full season of it, there is value in that. Now, that is a value of returning production. That's somebody that's done it before. Now, the other part is, is that we can't afford this year to have Maurice Washingtons. We can't have total bust at spots. We can't have guys that just completely well, particularly the wide receiver because here we are again at a position of need mm-hmm. and we're counting on guys we've never seen play in husker jerseys well, you know what i'm saying omar manning and Betts, like for example yeah. are the big tall just phys- to make sure they get on campus right now right yeah now. i mean like we're, we're still saying okay well if those guys come here the offense changes dramatically well if they don't or even if they do but it takes them a little while to acclimate then we're just guessing you know that's yeah. that's all it ends up being. You're you're projecting and reaching, and, well, and I'm tired of that. So let let's change it a little bit again to what Simple talked about. And when he talked about how Frost wants a physical offense, yes. When he talked about how he wants to run the football, and he brought up Royce Freeman as an example at, at Oregon, and that's what Frost wants. And when you think of some of the offseason changes that he made, 
you know, I think bringing Lubick in here and maybe maybe with Walters leaving, if he is wanting to go in a direction of being a more physical offense, that gets me very excited. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. We're going to run the ball more. Sounds good. I like that. We're getting bigger receivers, not only because we want bigger targets to throw to, but we want bigger receivers out there blocking for those guys. Correct. I like that. I like all those things, and I think those things can add up to an offense that can be spread and shotgun and, and all that and yet be physical and Big Ten at the same time. Correct. And to that point, Mac, you just mentioned, we don't have experienced depth with big receivers. Correct. But we do have receivers like Wandell and Warner and Spielman coming back that if the big receivers, Betts and, and Omar, can come in and supplement those mm-hmm. three guys on you know games one, two, three, four, as they start to kind of work their way into it, then I think that they can, by the time we're midseason and getting into those last five games, that's the way this season works out. We've talked about this enough, guys. Those first seven games, let's not be small. We've got to do well in those first seven games where we are five games at home and two on the road. We're, we're playing Rutgers, Illinois, Northwestern, and Purdue mm-hmm. as conference games, and we're playing three non-conference games against non-Power 5 schools. We have got to make hay at those times. I, I'll just flat out throw the number out there. We have got to be bowl eligible by the time we go to Game 8 at Columbus in the Horseshoe. That means we have to be minimum of 6-1 and one at the end of our here, seventh here. game. Progress in Year 3, is, I feel like that's what we have to look at as progress. Hype off the charts at that point, by the way. So no, no hype now. Wait till we're six and one or seven or no, right? I just feel like that's where three we're and zero, Dave. Three and zero would I probably be like insane. That, am I am I crazy for saying six and one as an expectation with that schedule? I'm trying to think of Minnesota in year three and what their schedule looked like at the beginning. They struggled against South Dakota State. They struggled against Georgia Southern, but they were able to get through a manageable schedule so that when they hit the Nebraskas, Penn State's, or, you know, Wisconsin and Iowa's. They had already built up that momentum through that first half of the season. Yeah, I, I think the difference there between Minnesota and Nebraska a little bit would be that we start with a Big Ten game in week one, and that is not going to be necessarily a cakewalk, right? We've lost Purdue the last two years, and we need to prove to, to everyone that we can win that game out of the out of the shoots. And to Max' point, you know, some question marks of the wide receiver position, for example. Uh, we really need some of those questions answered immediately in that game uh, because Purdue is going to be ready to play. But shouldn't we be ready to play too? In fact, shouldn't the fact that we're playing a Big Ten game at home, a team that we've not only lost the last two years, Dave, we've lost three of the last five. Mm-hmm. Not that that matters to most of these guys who weren't around the, you know, when Riker Fife was losing to him in 2016 or whatever year that was. No, absolutely. We should be ready to beat them. We should be more than ready to play right out of the shoots because we are playing a conference team. Like, if we're talking about not being small, and if I'm a coach talking to the players, like, my gosh, we have got to look at those first seven games and go, guys, every one of these teams is beatable. Well, there's nothing. We have got to be. If we are worried about Cincinnati, yeah. and God bless yeah. you, Luke Fickle, and your top 20 team that's going to come in here, if we are sweating a non-Power 5, non-conference team yeah. coming in here to Lincoln, Nebraska, I don't I don't get it. That doesn't I, I would tell you, Hawk, I am, I am on your side 100% here. But all of these fans that don't want to hear hype think that's hype. They think that, are you crazy? We're going to lose a Cincinnati. Are you crazy? Purdue being this last two years. Central Michigan made it to the MAC championship. I get it. I'll just play devil's advocate here. I I don't know. Do we need to sweat Cincinnati? But don't we need to take them quasi seriously? We need to take. take We need to take South Dakota. We can't sit here and say, okay, I I get what you. We need to take South Dakota State seriously, Boomer. To take every game seriously, and I think that kind of goes to what Dave is saying. 
Our first game is against Purdue, a team we struggle with. We have to come out of the gates, and we have to take every one of these games seriously. We can't pretend this is, you know, 1995 and we're going to steamroll everybody because we've sh- what we've shown, we can't do that right now. Maybe this will be that turnaround year, and who knows, maybe we will. But I, I do think we need to take that approach that these games are serious, and you have to take these first six games seriously. I mean, heck, even Illinois or Rutgers, who knows what they're yeah, going to do with Shiano. You know what? This is not... Nebraska last year going 5-7 and seven wasn't about not taking teams seriously. There is something about just right. not knowing how to finish games. When you go up collectively 41-3 and three against Indiana and Purdue and Colorado and you can't finish games, there's a physicality in football. Like, Dave, you and I do everything possible to create in our head why something happened after it did. So after we lost to Colorado, we said it's because of altitude. But I don't know what – I don't <laughs> did know Did you really say that? Well, we, we did it when we were up in Boulder. and we were, It works for Wyoming, so why We not? were trying to get through the night, right? Well, but, Wyoming's a totally different story, boom. But I don't know what the, al- <laughs> but I don't know what the altitude in West Lafayette is and I don't know what the issue was why we couldn't close out against a third string quarterback in that without way. Rondell Moore that's the part of where look we're out recruiting teams we are developing players I, I believe all the things that this coaching staff is doing this is you are not going to get me on a any kind of route where I'm tearing the program down for not doing the right things they're doing the right things and it is going to start to show up now if people don't want to hear that or if they just don't want to hear positivity then just this is going to be this. the wrong podcast I, for you, by yeah, the way. I hate going to say forward, this because I love I love the numbers, and, and and quite honestly, I'm shocked the numbers have stayed up yeah. as much as they have, considering the losses. But you know what? If you don't want to hear things positive about the program, if, if all you want to do is hear guys just tear down the team, pick another show. Yeah, since the loud noises episode, I've calmed myself down. I'm I'm right back where I need to be. Dave helped us out with it. Dave. Dave, Dave was, Dave was exactly what we needed. Dave stayed <laughs> the course. Big. He stayed the course. I believe in the program. You know, like, and, and I, I appreciated that. I think mostly I was just irritated that Moose told us to be patient. I just didn't. I just. I just didn't like being. T- I'm like, no, we've been patient, man. Yeah. I've been patient. I'm like, don't tell me I need to be. But from a talent standpoint, I don't care about Cincinnati. They're not. They're not out recruiting us, and Purdue is not out recruiting us. You know, it's just a matter of when do we see results on the yeah. field that we are almost. I feel like we're all in agreement that. The process is correct right now. Yes. The, the program is going the right direction right now. You know, culture and society takes generations to build up. In football, it takes it takes classes. And we're now at about a junior year of Scott Frost's, you know, tenure here. So, like, that's the culture we're at. We're at about a, three years in. You know, you can have wins before culture sets in. But now that we're about this far in, it's like, okay, culture, talent, scheme, yeah. We haven't had many changes in the coaching staff, and the ones we've had have been familiar changes. So all those excuses, all the, you know, like we're not big enough, all that stuff's gone. So let's see us win a game down and dirty if it has to be with Purdue. I don't care how we win any of these games, by the way. If we get to six and win, it could be by one point each game. I do not care. Get to six to seven wins and then see where it goes. And that's my comparison to Minnesota a year ago who struggled to beat South Dakota State, who we're going to be yeah, playing this that's year. That's not being who's, small, that's climbing. Who struggled to beat Georgia Southern early in the year. I mean, Minnesota was not a team that you would thought was going to go ahead and beat Auburn the way they did in a bowl game early in the season. It's like P.J. Fleck interviewed himself. He goes, was it a great win? No. <laughs> but did we win? Yes. Could we win by more points? Yes. Were but did young? we win by one? Yes. Were, mean, they, like, were they young? Yeah. Were we? <laughs> were we young? Of course we were. You know, like he did that. He did his own interviews. He's so good at that. But he was right. You struggle and you get through, but you win. And winning 
produces more winning and it, it it does help drive the point home it's like okay we're doing just enough things right to get better to get over the hump to win and as that stuff builds your team will come around we have enough talent on this team boys i'm, I'm not joking i'm like we have a, enough talent on this team to make some noise this year but it, like what we have not seen it right so i'm not gonna yeah. i'm not gonna sit here and proclaim that we're gonna win all these games but, but i wouldn't be shocked is all i'm saying I was just going to say, I think it is fair for some people to not want to go too crazy and predict, you know, 12, 13, and 0, because we've been burned by this before, and we've said that before, you know, whether it was last year, you know, buying into the national hype, or, you know, Riley bringing the Calabrasca thing, or Bo with his defense, or, you know, Callahan with everything else. We've heard this for a long time, and like you said, McGuire, we've been patient for a long time, so I can get some fans not you know, wanting, wanting to buy into hype every offseason. But then again, you're a fan. That's what you're supposed to do to at least a degree. I mean, you don't have to believe we're going to win the Big Ten and make the playoffs, but you don't have to be out-and-out out negative we're going to, you know, drop our four out of our first yeah. five games. I think I, I, I think it is fair to say we want to see actual results before we buy into quote-unquote hype. But you can support the team and not buy hype, I think, is a fair, fair approach, I think, to take. That first I, game I is huge. You go out, you beat Purdue, then let's board the high train and go. Yeah, because that's that would be massive. You win a big, you win a conference game against a team we struggled with under multiple staffs that we shouldn't struggle with. That's huge. Here's the thing, and maybe this is more of a coach than me talking. Results can be as simple as doing the right things off the field. It can be how you are preparing in spring. It's how physical you are practicing. It is the types of players you're recruiting. It, mm-hmm. A lot of things that don't require having to see a win to see it. I didn't buy into hype last offseason from outsiders. That is not what made me think we could be good and or I, bad. And I agree with you that it wasn't the local media that was driving that Correct. train either. And that wasn't and none of that train drove me to think that we could be better. I I bought into some of the what I think Frost in year two could be. Don't get me don't get me wrong with that. Oh, I but, would certainly but blame I don't, Frost more for my personal life than any of the national stuff. But I don't but I don't need Phil still telling me something for me to think that Nebraska is going to be good or bad. His print's now, far too small I can't even read it. <laughs> <laughs> so like you know, the BTN crew comes here, right, Honky? And uh, Jerry DiNardo beforehand, he's like, you know, I'm not really buying into this. I, I think they're a year away, et cetera, et cetera. Then he watches practice, and he comes on air, and he changes his tune. He's like, no, I think I think they are ready to, can, to contend for the Big Ten West. And a lot of the other national hype comes from guys that have seen a lot of football, and uh, they just have a belief that Frost is going to get this done. Bruce Feldman always comes to mind when I think about that. And that that's where it was, you know, it's difficult. It, it, everybody is confused on what happened last year. Maybe not the, you know, 10 and 2 of Phil Stills world, but, uh, you know, 8 and 4, right? Everybody figured that was that was the, 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 the basis, right? That's a, a, where you're going to land. And then when that didn't hit, you really had to scratch your head, right, Honk? Well, that's the thing. If you go back and you listen to our interview last week with, with Sipple, mm-hmm. we talked about that. Mac, you brought that up. You go... Imagine being no better on offense and no better on defense, but just having a consistent kicker throughout the season. Yeah. A kicker who could make a healthy Brett Pickering. A, a, a kicker who could make a field goal from forty-five yards in. I'm not asking for fifty and fifty-five. I'm just saying you can make a forty-five yarder in, and you can consistently kick a kickoff into the end zone for or, a touchback, or, or at the minimum where they said you were going to have the coverage at. Are you, are you saying special teams are important, folks? <laughs> we'll get into that, Boomer, our special teams coordinator, and and we just brought in a special teams analyst today. But the point is. What we talked to Simple about was 
you just add that one component. You're no better on offense. You're no better on defense. But you're just consistent at kicker. And we were five and seven, and it was a razor thin difference between being three and nine and yeah. nine and three. How much does that one kicker make well, a difference? Was, you know, could it, we have gone eight and four? And if we were eight and four because we just simply had good kicking, we're not even having this conversation right now about being overhyped. It would be disingenuous to say we didn't belong in the same field with Wisconsin or Iowa, correct? Oh my God, we 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 had so, five hundred yards of offense against Wisconsin. We ran for three hundred yards. We had a hundred plus yard drive that ended in zero points. When does that happen? Yeah, so I mean, those are still the two kind of the litmus test of this this side of the conference. So they, we're not that far away, folks. Oh. I mean, like, I'm not going to – this isn't a hype movement either, but, like, let's stop pretending like we're so far yeah. away from where we need to be that this this next season's going to be god-awful and, and I'm only going to – I'm only going to be happy once we hit that eight threshold. I'm like, you know what? Then don't watch football. This sport is not for you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. This is just – Kind of one thing, you know, with the Connolly projections on that when it comes to returning production, what wins will do – it's not a huge boost to how many games you'll win a year. I mean, the biggest change from last year to, or excuse me, twenty eighteen twenty nineteen was Navy, and they returned less than fifty percent of their class. But on average, that extra production that you'll get from the returning starters is one win. Is one win a big difference last year? Hell yeah, it is. That's a difference from. We went to a bowl, right? Sure. I mean, that totally changes the the name of the game. I mean, sure, it might have been the pinstripe bowl, but would we not have been okay with a bowl game last year? Heck, yes, we would have. Uh, hockey, uh, if I'm not mistaken, by this time of year, and I want people to really understand how how big of a Husker football fan Honky is when it comes to actually putting the time in to be a great fan. You've probably rewatched every single game last year in the last, I don't know, month or six weeks or so, and literally just slow mode every play pretty much. Is that right? Everyone, plus I follow Chaz from SoCal on Twitter, and he does he the does same thing. He does a nice thing. job of breaking those down. So, Chaz... Hearts and man, I, I love the I love what you're doing. That's fantastic. Yes. So to your yeah, to answer your question, yes, Dave. And and what 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 have you seen? I guess from that detailed film session that you've been going through, that we are as mistake prone, and this is a legitimate issue for for Frost. We are as mistake prone from start to finish of the season at times, and I think he wanted to correct some of those things with some of the offseason changes he's made. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the Iowa game, specifically the Iowa game. I can name two things that happened in that game that should not happen again. We should not have a kickoff that gets returned for a touchdown mm. where he did not really have a good answer for it right after the game. He did not, you know, he was talking about how I went back and talked to my offense and he didn't really understand or he wasn't in position to talk about why that kick was kicked the way it was. Okay, well, guess what? There's a something that's happened in this offseason that's affected special teams that, you know, should maybe correct that. And the other thing was when we went into that last possession and we had two quarterbacks, Sipple talked about how he couldn't stand how Frost kind of had the, the multiple quarterback system yeah, going that game. Wasn't his best game. Wasn't oh. his best game. And then that last drive when we have Martinez run out of bounds, the only thing that could possibly even give Iowa an option to get the ball back was running out of bounds. And I think that that was an organizational thing on offense, and we've just changed offensive coordinators. Now, people get confused on what offensive coordinator means. Like, they, they think that the only thing an offensive coordinator possibly can do is they has to call plays. Well, he doesn't really have to do that. 
He can have a major effect on game plans. He can have a major effect on how you are calling plays in game, like as in working with the game, the play caller. So when you think of like Osborne back in the day, he was the offensive coordinator. He was the play caller, but he had Tenniper and Solich in his ears all the time up in the play box telling him what they're seeing. And so if Frost, for whatever reason, didn't feel like he had somebody that was on the same page with mm-hmm. him. I'm not. I don't want to say trust. I don't like that word. I think he trusts um, Walters. But if you're not on the same page, and you know by bringing in Lubick, a guy that you brought in by the way last year to consult with you, if you feel like you're on the same page with that guy, I'd go with that guy. <laughs> I mean, frankly, if you're consulting with somebody else on your offense, then I I kind of feel like trust probably was an issue. Well, with, I think with Wal- Walters. I'm like, I think Walters had to look at that and go, "Why is Lubick yeah, standing here and, consulting?" And you know, I've rewatched a lot of the games too. It just depends on the lens that I go into it with. I saw improvement in a lot of places. I saw Cam Jurgens get better as the year went on. I saw him oh. get in the second level lots of times again. Linebackers, I saw Dedrick Mills get better about reading the holes. He ran for a, a 300 yard yeah. sack adjusted, 300 yards against Wisconsin. Yeah. I saw, but I also saw that, us, that means something, but I also it's just saw equate to, to points. Burn down Wandell Robinson by overuse. Yes. You know, I also saw us having to go to JD Spillman too often because we didn't have a, a second or third wide receiver choice because Wandell's in the backfield. So you saw all the, I, I saw the improvement and I saw where the weaknesses were. We and, hit on that last week, Mac. Know, our biggest concern is depth at running back. We love the four freshmen, redshirt freshmen guys. We love those four guys. And we love Dedrick Mills. We think that dude is all-conference caliber. But if he's not in, there's this gap. And my God, if there is somebody out there, I don't even know who the name is, but if there is somebody, a junior college slash transfer portal guy who can fill a gap for one season that can be that junior guy coming in. That like can, a Kenny Wilson slash well, Brian Knuckles slash. Well, just Dedrick. <laughs> the, if there is a Dedrick Mills of this year, I yeah. tweeted out a guy a yeah. couple of weeks ago. He, he was at UCF of all things, and then he went to A&M, and yeah, he we, just left A&M, and he's in the transfer portal. I don't know if he went somewhere. I can't remember his name. My point is we just need somebody. I truly believe we need somebody that can come in and just be that second guy right behind Dedrick Mills that isn't a redshirt or true freshman that we can just Man. count on. Because what Sipple talked about when he said the Big Ten is a bitch, yeah. and that was his word, not mine. We don't cuss on the broadcast. But when he said the Big Ten's <laughs> Unless we're quoting somebody else. Hey, Homer, heard you swearing. Hell damn crap. <laughs> <laughs> but when he said the Big Ten's a bitch because of the physicality, dude, it is. And, I mean, I love Mills, but it's going to take a lot for him to make it through. Well, unfortunately, I don't think the transfer portal or Juco. I mean, that that just so rarely works out. Even Mills took all year last year, and Bell the year before well, that was thing. no good. It's yeah. going to take somebody on the roster, and I don't know. Who, is it Ramirez? Is it is it Sevion? Is it is it Sims? You know, who knows? Maybe Ronald Tompkins gets healthy. I mean, I, I don't I don't put a lot of stock in that, but maybe. I mean, but it's concerning. Or is it one of those? Uh, Duck R, Husker R, Huskar, I'm sorry. We're gonna, on the, on the Redcast, we say Huskar. Uh, like Alante or, um, what's the other guy's name? Uh, the other freshman that came in that was kind of a. Oh, Nixon. Nixon. Like one of those Nixon, guys. Yeah. He's gonna maybe have to step up and play that role. Because Wandell is best served on the outside and, and DJ Mills will need to be spelled. This conference is far too physical to, to hope to go through it with one running back. That will be probably the biggest. <sighs> differentiator in how this season goes yeah i would just add to that that i think from a returning production thing returning starters and the experience in the offensive line it just cannot be overstated i think and last year we clearly missed that 
and uh, I think we have more depth and and better experience there that could make a big difference um, going forward. Yeah, I think when you look at the roster breakdown right now in terms of by year, so, you know, senior, junior, sophomore, and so on, we are not heavy on on seniors necessarily, but where we are is on the O line. The O line needs to overproduce next year. It needs to be playing at a very high level. We do have everyone coming back. We have a ton of depth there. But we should be huge. And, too. And, and from game one, we should be better at the center position because of what we went through last year with Jurgens. I mean, look, I am not here to knock Jurgens. My God, that guy was playing his first year of center, and he was only a redshirt freshman. He he arguably shouldn't have been playing last this year. This is his first year of playing he, a full season since, what, his junior year? Sure. I mean, that's a crazy— All of those things add up to, you know, what he did was really pretty amazing because mm-hmm. by the end of the season, he wasn't a liability anymore nope. snapping the ball. He was snapping the ball well, and he all the athleticism of him started to show up in him getting into the second and third tiers of the defense and blocking. Here's the thing that we don't want to see, and we get to watch— over the offseason, little snippets of videos that come out. Oregars, you know, mm. Mac, you talking about them all the time. I heard him. We don't get to see a lot of the team, but there's two things I've seen. I've seen Jurgens, and he looked thicker. He looked bigger. And and the challenge would be don't overthick him. Don't make him <laughs> don't don't make him 330 pounds in one offseason. Don't overthick him. Yeah. Let's not <laughs> sure overthick is a word. Well, we'll look at yeah. it. Yeah. But the advantages that he brings is his mobility, his feet, and everything. And athleticism at that position. Athleticism. Yeah. So let's not make him too big unnecessarily fast. Now the other guy, and this is kind of interesting because this was the knock on last offseason, was Martinez. We've seen only a few instances of him in these videos. But he actually looks smaller. He does look thinner. Now, it could be for a number of reasons. We know he had some type of surgery postseason. I don't know if that affected. A filter of some sort on the camera. <laughs> it could be that, Dave. You were, Dave, you were a former broadcasting guy. You've done video. You, you know what that's all about. But, but the point is, he doesn't look as big. And so, is that an offseason? Is he trying to lose weight or is he, has he just not had a chance to work out as much because of a surgery? Who, who the heck knows? I mean, we're not, we're not there. We're not claiming that we know the answer. But the point is, we want to see him be more explosive. Mm. If he's more explosive and, and all that, I think that we're in great shape moving forward offensively there. I, I would just caution our, our Husker fans out there to to rush to judgment on Adrian Martinez so far. I, I don't think last year was a good representation of what he can do. He seemed clearly injured last year, and I think that affected everything from the high snaps at the beginning of the year to the lack of run game in the middle of the year to having you know the wide receiver production drop off. I mean, all of that stuff mixes in to be this horrible broth of a sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. So, listen, this isn't a pro 2 a.m. kind of thing. This isn't an anti-Luke McCaffrey thing. May the best man win. But if Adrian comes out as the as the is he's a starter um, the first game, then don't worry about it. He's he's obviously won it. He it, yeah. obviously over more than any other times. If he wins the if he wins the starting position this year, then he won it. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's no question about that. That's going to be an open competition. So I, I just I'm tired of hearing people proclaim one quarterback over another. You don't know what you're talking about. None of us do. So stop pretending you know Luke McCaffrey's so much better of this or that. You do not know. You're lying to yourself. And you're making a fool of yourself on Twitter, whoever yeah. you may be. Well, I think what we might call this show, honestly, is hype management. And Dave, just to transition, then we can move out of scarlet colored glasses. Uh, we'll go from hype management to roster management real briefly. Nice segue. <laughs> Thank you. Boom. A, c- a couple of things have happened here. 
Nebraska were currently two scholarships under the limit of 85 right now. That included Darian Chase leaving uh, early, uh, so he left after his retro freshman year. We do have Christian Gaylord back. He is officially eligible for 2020, which is great. That's that's help on the O-line there, too. And we did bring in a couple additions to the walk-on class of uh, Millard South running back Isaiah Harris, Oklahoma kicking specialist Tyler Crawford, so more kicking. Kicking you know, specialists. We don't call them kickers anymore. <laughs> we don't. And we also have Texas athlete uh, Bo Pesenic. I, I'm not exactly sure how to say the last name. Point is the walk-on class is of 22 right now. Now, we've talked about special teams, and we did bring in officially today Auburn analyst Jonathan Rutledge. He's accepted the same position here. So, you know, we – Jay Rudge. <laughs> and, and one other That's thing, Twitter handle right there. <laughs> All right. And one other thing, just to talk a little bit of recruiting, this goes back not just to the positivity, but it also goes back to I don't need to always see something on the field to see that the, the progress is being made. We offered Bellevue West sophomore Mike O'Reilly, 6'5, 215 pounds, as our third in state offer in 2022. Okay, he joins Omaha Central offensive lineman Deshaun Woods and Omaha Burke outside linebacker Devin Jackson. We have three guys, let me repeat, three guys that are sophomores right now from the state of Nebraska that have offers. We are two years ahead. Okay, I get the wins haven't happened, but I'm telling you, that is an immediate sign of progress from from managing our roster, from shutting down the borders, you know, and this is in addition to the fact that we have a commit already from next year from Elkhorn South, Teddy Prochaska, who's, I think he's like number 60 in the top 100 rivals. We have offered Omaha Westside defensive back Avante Dickerson. He's going to be offered by, he's been, he has LSU and a ton of offers and we we're going to get the kid. I, I, I truly believe that we're not just letting kids leave the state. Uh, Creighton prep tight end, AJ Rollins, WS yeah. wide, uh, wide receiver, Keegan Johnson, Cluster's kid, those are kids from next season, and they're also Omaha kids. <clears throat> you know, six or seven years would go by, and we wouldn't get in-state kids from from Omaha. Well, it, even if we don't get them, and I'm not saying we won't, it's not for a lack of effort. It's not for a lack of evaluation, and I can live sure, with that. Sure, you know, it's the same with like basketball or baseball. When somebody chooses to go someplace else, then whatever. But but the but the staff is doing work in state, which is you know what you want to see. I know you in particular really want to see that, and you've probably been right. Yeah, we definitely are seeing more in-state recruiting, whether that is just uh, a uh, luck of uh, talent uptick in uh, Omaha in Lincoln or, you know, more likely better evaluation uh, not only by Nebraska, but other schools that are really looking at Omaha Metro as a a talent pool now. So good to see. Good to see. All right, great stuff, great stuff. All right, you know, people always ask me, like, do you guys do off-season podcasts on Husker football? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we could talk for hours about this. That was a great segment, guys. Good stuff. (laughs) Just try to stop us. (laughs) Hold me back. All right, Honky, let's crack open that mailbag, and uh, let's see what our listeners have to ask us. All right, well, let's start here with couple of questions we had from multiple people, co-worker Eric, uh, Tony Hayek, XFL Jim. Basically, a similar question of, of talk, trying to look forward. Uh-huh. We just talked a lot of, of past stuff here during sure. the scar-colored glasses. But looking forward to spring, which player could benefit the most from a solid spring camp? Oh, that's a really good question. I, I'm going to break it down. We'll go offense and defense both. Uh, offensively, I might... 
adjust the question just a little bit to who needs to have a really good spring. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to take your question, not answer it, and, 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 and mutate it to what I want to answer. Yeah, take that. Call a pivot, Mac. Ramir Johnson on offense, right? There's a guy who needs to have a very good spring because of, nice. of reasons we mentioned before. The depth behind uh, Diedrich Mills is suspect, right? So mm-hmm. there's a guy who can get out there. He's going to get contact. He'll be, be a big role in the spring game. We really need a running back to emerge. So that's a guy who needs to have a big spring and really could benefit from a spring too. So it's not totally a, a dodge. So on the defensive side of things, inside linebacker, either Henrik or Jackson Hanna need to have a big spring. They need to emerge because that inside linebacker position, again, we lose Mo Berry. Um, we only have Colin Miller and we have Hannes coming back. So those are going to be positions that really need somebody to answer the bell. So those are, those are my two, two to three players that need to have a big spring and will benefit the most from a really good spring. All right. Great question. Let's move on to uh, Believe in Fred. Who uh, he's a good friend of ours, and he asked us a question on the basketball side of things. He uh, he said, "How would Inu have done last year without an injury to Copeland?" Dave, let me throw that your direction. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, before uh, believe in Fred was believe in Freddie was believe in Tim, I believe, and uh, <laughs> there's a lot of belief in Tim uh, from believe in Fred. If you follow my drift. Um, you know, it's an interesting question. I honestly don't think we would made the NCAA tournament, um, regardless of, of Copeland, uh, being in or out. Um, I, I, Boomer, uh, correct me, but I think we had already had about five conference losses. I think we lost Copeland in the Ohio State game or so. So we already had four or five losses. And, um, and we were trending in the wrong direction, regardless of, of, whether Isaac was going to be healthier or not. Now, would have Copeland potentially gotten us one or two extra wins? And could have that gotten us a lot closer to the bubble? Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. And uh, I guess there was a shot that somehow we could have made the tournament, but it didn't happen. Yeah, he went down in the Ohio State game, which was January 26th of that year, and we'd already lost to Michigan State and Rutgers prior to that game, and then... Lost some games after that. They lost a lot of games in a row there. Yeah, we lost quite a few games in that stretch. A couple of we we had a kind of decent streak to end that year. Again, it's hard to say what difference he would have made. I mean, was he our leading scorer in a lot of games? No, no, he wasn't. I mean, that was always Palmer's role or Roby. Would he have meant the, made the difference? Would he have pushed us over the edge to make a tournament? I would hesitate to say he would have. I, I I don't know how we could say he would. I mean, we were losing games with him there. I mean, we lost to Maryland, Iowa, and yeah, I would I would say that last year's Nebraska team was this year's Penn State, except the difference is that Pat Chambers' team is delivering on the promise of the season, and they're ranked in the top ten now, and um, look like a a clear. Uh, second week of the tournament type team. And we had that opportunity last year. Tim Miles had a team that should have, whether, um, it was, you know, Copeland healthy or not, that was an NCAA caliber team. And it was already falling apart before Copeland went down. Uh, in reality, that roster should have had enough depth on it to be able to handle that loss. Um, maybe it would have hindered their seating or those type of things, but we shouldn't have been in the situation last year where Copeland's injury ended up breaking the season. It was already broken, and um, that that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, because by uh, cause Penn State has, what, six losses? 
I think, this year so Something far. Something like that, yeah. They're 10 and 4 in conference. Yeah, and by the time, you know, that Ohio State game happened where Copeland's injury was, we were already at 7. So, I mean, we were already had more losses than Penn State does this year, and then we just couldn't absorb losing one player. Yeah, you need to capitalize when you have those teams, and Danny Nee in year 5 capitalized with that senior team of Rich King and all those guys. Chambers is capitalizing with this team. Miles didn't capitalize with the team he had, and the team that he was going to bring back this year. If he would have done it, he'd still be here. Yeah, and the, and the team he would have brought back this year, this was going to be a transition year one way or the other. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going through a different type of transition, but I'm very optimistic with what Hoiberg brings back next year. There's a lot of positive things to look at towards next year. Last question from the mailbag. So you're buying the hype? Is that what you're saying? Of course I am. Yeah. The Hoiberg hype, obviously. <laughs> the last question from the mailbag. This is Eric. This is a baseball question. We did just get done with the first weekend uh, series with Baylor. We went one and two in it, although it definitely could have been two and one. That second game, you know, went down extra innings even. Any takeaways from the first series? Sure. You know, I, I think a lot of promise, obviously. Uh, I think we scored 11 runs in that first game against Baylor before they even uh, – went uh went to bat so uh we could see a lot of offense this year uh we had a lot of home runs already uh Polinsky had a grand slam in game two so i would expect a lot of offense this year and uh that makes sense we have i think um, eight of our top nine returning offensive production guys are, are back and so that's a should be fun to watch that, and, and with Will Bolt, uh, who's obviously a hidden coach, uh, he should really really take that to the next level. Pitching staff-wise, we expected that it's going to take a little while to get these guys in shape. That's usually how it works, uh, especially for a northern team. Uh, pitchers uh, report early in the major leagues for a reason. It takes a while to get them uh, up to full strength, and... Um, it, it, that's the case with with Nebraska here. You know, a little stronger pitching performance against Baylor, and we clearly go two and one, but it didn't happen. I, I, I'm in, curious to see what our starting rotation uh, looks like here in the next month or so. If we stick with um, uh, the, the three guys we uh, took out to Baylor, we have uh, Gareth Stroh, I believe, who's a Purdue transfer, uh, started on Friday night, looked pretty good. I got a lot of run support, obviously. Colby Gomes, who was our closer last year, comes in on on Saturday, struggles a bit more, um, and he's young, and so he needs to find find his stuff. When he's got his stuff, he's really good. And then uh, Cade Povich, who was a, a really important uh, JUCO land that Bolt got that, that a lot of folks didn't think Erstad had a uh, inside track on, uh, pitched on. Sunday and, and didn't have a great outing, but uh, he didn't also get any run support. So uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, but Boomer, you know, we've got an important stretch going forward. We've got uh, the Tony Gwynn Classic this weekend in San Diego. They're playing at Petco Park, I believe, uh, against San Diego, San Diego State, and Arizona. And then following week, they're in Tempe with Arizona State. Yeah, this is kind of that stretch where We've struggled in the past, I think, with Husker baseball. That opening series was kind of interesting. That, that first week, we, we, or that first game, we kind of enjoyed the fun of, you know, 19 runs. It was great, you know, to have those bats going. And that's what Will Bolt is supposed to do. The downside to that Baylor series is just the declining performance as each game went from 19 runs to 7 to 2. I mean, mathematically average, it's about 7, a little over, or excuse me, a little over 9 runs per game. And. Baylor was nine eight seven. They're a little more, you know, even in their their game performance. But if we can kind of get those bats up and support our pitching, you know, even when it struggles, we should be okay. 
But this uh, the the Tony Gwynn series will be interesting to see. We got you know both San Diego's you know regular San Diego and San Diego State and Arizona, and, and that's kind of where this team struggled in, in the last few years is just these non conference games. Just by nature, they're challenging, and we've always had trouble with getting some of these wins. So let's see what we can do against some of these these opponents and kind of get something established. Pitching's going to be the problem, and it kind of has been for Nebraska, and the bullpen is, has struggled at least in the first three games, but it's early yet. So let's see what happens. We got that. We got Arizona State coming up soon, then a good stretch against Columbia. Let's kind of get something going. Yeah, Columbia is our first home game, yeah. right? Yeah, so let's get something rolling there. Hopefully it's not negative six and they'll get canceled, so it would be kind of nice to see. That was a problem last year is we lost a lot of home games. That was a big problem last year. We just could never play at so, home. So. Yeah, I, I think it's a good start overall. I, I, this early stretch where we play the first ten games or so on the road is always a challenge to Boomer's point. And you're really looking at trying to pick up some what you'd call quad one wins, some right good a non-conference wins um, to get that resume and that RPI going in the right direction early in the year. Um, one win versus Baylor is a good start. Um, we'd love to, I'd say, you know, try to go uh, three and three over the next six games here, and then that way you return home, you stack up a bunch of wins versus Northern Colorado and Columbia, uh, and then hit the road again. I think they play Wichita State in a four-game set. So um, I think they're trending in the right direction. Uh, this should be a tournament team if they can build the resume. All right, let's uh, have some parting shots. Uh, Honky, take it away. Well, let's start first with a, a social media question we had today, and I thought it was kind of interesting. I just threw it out there. If you could pick anyone to follow you on Twitter, who would it be? And it the reason I asked it a little bit was because we've had some people follow us over the course of the last month, but also over the course of the last three years that have just kind of surprised me. People that I grew up following or, you know, really kind of people that I, I was shocked that would follow, right? And so it's just interesting to see some of the responses we've had from people, a lot of, you know, politicians or celebrities or this or that. But I'm curious, you know, Mac, Dave, Boomer, you know, is there somebody that if you could just have follow you on, on social media, on Twitter, who would it be? Mac, I'll throw it to you. Liam Gallagher. Liam Gallagher, Oasis, of course. <laughs> well, sh- well, shoot, then that's easy. Dave wants Bono, right? I, I mean, was actually going to say Marty Honky, but I would take Bono, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Scareth was my second choice. <laughs> of course. Boomer? Oh, geez, most of my favorite celebrities are dead, but uh, I don't know. Maybe somebody like Jim Cornette from Pro Wrestling World, you know, the Pro Wrestling World. I, I always like his work. That fits you perfectly, yeah. Another thing was, uh, I, I just wanted to mention... Uh, well, well, you didn't answer who yours was. I think I just threw out, like, Coach Frost. Just an easy answer. I don't know. Um, <laughs> That's a lazy answer, really. <laughs> that is it's extremely lazy. Yeah. Well, and then I said from the uh, Redcast would have been uh, Faux Pelini. Next up was last night... The Daytona 500 got done, and there was that horrific crash at the end with Ryan Newman. And thank God the guy is alive and and looks like everything's going to be okay with him. But I wanted to point out that one of the things that helped protect him was the safer barrier. And that is something as Nebraskans, that is being developed by the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility. It's part of the University of Nebraska, part of the College of Engineering. It's something that is done here in Nebraska that is... On every single NASCAR track, it is on highways now. I mean, it is the fact that it is something that we are developing here. I mean, it's incredibly proud, I guess, I think, as a, as a Nebraskan to see be. that. And I, I think it's really cool, and it, and it is making a difference there. So, uh, you know, I want to give a shout-out to that. And the other thing is I want to give a shout-out to the Redcast fans 
that are giving us reviews. And since that simple interview, Mac, that we did, mm-hmm. my gosh, we had like five extra reviews on, on iTunes and we've had like 10 ratings and they're all five stars. And I just want to give a big shout out to you guys, Redcast Nation. Thank you for- Sipple's for... got a big following. Didn't even know. Didn't even realize. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Redcast Nation, for following, supporting us. Uh, we appreciate it. All right, Mac, can you follow that? You know, Honky brought up earlier that we, through the roster management section, that we lost Darian Chase this this last week, and um, him citing uh, mental health as one of the primary reasons that he he transferred, which is, you know, we recently had the story of Chris Dishman, former Husker, who oh, lost yeah. his wife to you know suicide, and you know him coming out and talking about mental health, and it just, you know, the. The more you hear about that, the, the more you realize it affects so much of America. So, you know, Darian Chase leaving is as much as we could have used him a wide receiver from the football side of it. I'm very glad to hear of a young man recognizing something inside of him that says, "I need to get home. I need to get closer to family." So, mm-hmm. um, I'm proud of I'm proud of his choice. I'm you know Dishman getting out there and talking about his wife, which has got to be super painful. You know, um, thoughts and prayers go out to both those guys. Absolutely. All right, Boomer, bring us home. Yeah, and, and I kind of just wanted to echo one of the things Hockey had mentioned. You know, we're not a auto racing podcast or huge fans of it, but, you know, we saw the Ryan Newman crash, and it looked horrific at the time, and thank goodness, you know, it turned out to be okay. And I think it's just one thing I wanted to kind of just remind all of our listeners is just to remember the human element behind all these people that are out there doing sports essentially for our entertainment, whether it's professionally for things like NASCAR, NFL, boxing, pro wrestling, or amateurs like kids essentially at college just just playing these things for for our amusement essentially. Just just remember there are actual people behind this. They're putting their lives in the line. And keep that in mind, whether it's social media or how you approach life in general, just just remember there's people involved in all of this. So Absolutely. Amen, Boomer. Great uh, point and a really great uh, conversation. Let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. TBR. <laughs>